All right, so turn, our, turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 4 this evening, please. James chapter 4. For the last uh, um, nearly two months, or maybe just a little over two months, we have been on the series of Grace, Faith, and Glory. Grace, Faith, and Glory. And I want to encourage every one of you, if you've missed out, I know it's the summer months, people are on vacations, visiting family, going to new places, and all of that. If you've missed several Sundays or any of the Sundays, please go back online and make sure you catch up because so that you have the proper understanding of, uh, of where we are headed. So in the last two or, or just a little over two months, we have spent time talking about the grace of God, understanding what it means to be a person of grace. We've also understood the, uh, regarding how we have to live by faith in our lives. And now we're get, we've gotten to the place where we are starting to talk about living a life for the glory of God. We've made this statement for since the beginning of this uh, series, especially now anybody can live their life based on this statement, but especially for those of you who call New City Church your home church, this is your family, uh, I really want you to start identifying with this particular statement and living your life uh, based on this statement. And that is that we are people of grace who live by faith for the glory of God. Let's say that together. We are people of grace who live by faith for the glory of God. And so what does it mean to be a person of grace? We've talked about that. What does it mean to live by faith? Again, uh, uh, there's a bunch of Christians can say, oh, we live by faith, and every one of them can mean a different thing. And so we've made sure that when we say it in this context, when we say we live by faith, that every one of us are on the same page and, and we mean the same thing. Now, we're talking about living for the glory of God. Um, I said this last week, when it comes to the glory of God, the Bible talks about God's glory in, in several different ways. One of the ways, uh, for example, in, in the Old Testament, we see Moses uh, uh, talking to God and he says, God, show me your glory. He's on the mountaintop and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I will show you my goodness. All right. In other words, God's goodness is his glory. Every single time we experience the grace of God, we experience the goodness of God in our lives. We are experiencing the glory of God in our lives. Then the Bible also talks about God's uh, glory in terms of the weightiness of God. In other words, it's the very presence of God. When you are in the presence of God, you are experiencing the glory of God in your life. Now, even though all of those things are true, when we say we are living for the glory of God, I don't mean we're living for the presence of God, and I don't even mean that we are living for the goodness of God. Even though those two things need to be a part of our lives, and I, and I pray that every single one of you experience those two aspects of the grace of God in all of your lives. When I say we are people who are living for the glory of God, what I am talking about is that we are people who are living for the honor of God. We're living for the name of God. We are living for the pleasure of God. Are you understanding that? So, so we're, it's more about, it's not uh, about uh, receiving from God when I talk about the glory of living for the glory of God. It is, uh, uh, it is our response to the glory of God, to the grace of God that we have learned about. It is our response and this is the fruit of us walking by faith. Are you understanding that? It is a response to grace. Our response to grace is we walk by faith. And the result and the fruit of us walking by faith is the glory of God being made manifest in our lives and we living for his glory. Amen? Now, I said this last week, even when it comes to children, last week we saw so many, uh, especially in the second service, we saw so many kids come and, and uh, 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 share their memory verses, dance and, and, and sing the new songs that they have learned. And while they were doing all of these things, you could see grandparents and you could see parents seated in the, in the chairs that you are seated in, and they were smiling, they were laughing, and they were filled with joy looking at their children and their grandchildren. Now, what the children were doing was bringing glory to their families, to their parents, to their uncles, to their aunts, and to their grandparents. In the same way, that was bringing pleasure to the family. In the same way, when God looks at our lives, we ought to be living lives that bring glory to Him, that bring pleasure to Him. Amen? So, 
we, when we understand that we are people living in the kingdom of God for the glory of that particular king, we also need to understand that we need to be people who live in submission to the ways of that kingdom to the ways of that kingdom. Again, I'm not going to spend too much time because there are several things I want to get to today. But if you, if, if you listen to last week's message, you'll, you'll uh, understand what I'm talking about. So James chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 says this. He says, but he gives more grace. Everyone say more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is that kind, that grace that brings salvation into this world has been given to every single person. It has been poured out over the entire world. But here, he, what Peter is talking about, sorry, what James is talking about is, is the grace or the empowerment and enablement for you to do what you've been called to do. It is the empowerment and it is the enablement for you to reach the God-given destiny for your life and to accomplish the plan and purpose for your life. So he is saying this enablement will be given to you, but it will be, be, but it will be given to the humble. It will be given to the humble. And so in verse 7, he says, because it will be given to the humble, he says, therefore, submit yourselves to God. In other words, submitting means lowering your uh, uh, um, uh, uh, desires or expectations and your dreams for the sake of God's dreams, God's expectations, and God's desires. Submitting yourself to him, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, uh, people that are submitted to the authority, uh, uh, um, sorry, submitted, people that are submitted to authority uh, that is placed, uh, position themselves to receive the full benefit of the authority that they are living under. I'll say that again. People who are submitted to authority position themselves to receive the full benefit of the authority that they are living under. One of the things that I started saying was in order for us to live a life that glorifies God, we need to be submitted to the ways of the kingdom of God. And one of the ways of the kingdom of God is submission. Everyone say submission. Now, nobody likes submission. It does not come naturally to 99.9% .9 of us. And we don't, we, 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 uh, the, our natural course is to rebel against it. Now, we know that uh, every one of you have been a, a child at some point in your life and you remember the time when you rebelled against whether it's your uh, uh, parents, whether it was your teachers, whether it was your employer, whatever the case may be, we rebel and there is a tendency for us not to submit to the authority that God places over our lives. But every single time we actually submit to the God-given authority or God-placed authority in our lives, we actually position ourselves to receive the full benefit of being under that authority and being under that leadership. Now, for example, everyone knows that the Bible says that children ought to obey their uh, father and mother, and there's a benefit to that. There is a blessing that comes along with that. And the Bible says that the blessing that comes along with that is long life. All right. Now, if a person rebels against that God-given authority, so the person, whether it is a son or a daughter, they're constantly rebelling against the, the, their parents. Now what happens is they're putting their life and positioning themselves in a place where they do not receive the blessing that can come from that authority. Are you understanding that? So in just like parents are authority over our lives, so also are different people that God chooses and God gives authority to over our lives. Every single one of us are under authority. There's no such thing as an independent person who, ha who, who, who is not under somebody's authority. You might think of that. You might try to imagine yourself as a person that is completely independent. But the reality is you're always under somebody's authority. Now, whether you recognize it or not doesn't change the fact that they have still been given uh, authority by God over you. Are you understanding that? So a parent, for example, a teenager might rebel against the God-given authority or of the mother or of the father. But just because they rebel does, or just because they don't recognize the authority does not mean the parent doesn't have the authority. 
Are you understanding that? So when they recognize that authority and understand, wait a minute, my mother has authority over me, or my father has authority over me, but that authority has been given by God, and it is for my good. When they understand that, they start to reap the benefits of that authority. Now, the benefits are both natural and spiritual in nature. Now, just in the natural, when a, when a child is pleasing to their parents, in the natural, they receive more gifts. They, 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 so there's the natural side of that blessing. But also, there is the spiritual side of the blessing because every single time they're living a life that is pleasing to the parents, and every single time the, the father or the mother speaks a blessing over their life, that is a spiritual blessing they get to carry for the rest of their lives. Are you understanding that? So, so children who don't submit to, don't submit, don't receive the full benefit of the parents. Employees who don't submit to their employers don't receive the full benefit of their employers. Husband and wives who don't submit to one another don't receive the full benefit of their wife and don't receive the full benefit of their husband in their families. And therefore, when you see a, a, a wife who is constantly struggling and constantly trying to become the head of the house, you always see a house that is broken down. You will see the effects of the broken relationship for generations to come in some cases because the same effect is carried on in the lives of the children as well. And so in the same way, church members who don't submit to the leadership that God has placed in their life, whether it is through the pastor and other leaders that God places in the church, also do not receive the full benefit of the pastor and the leadership that God placed in their life through that local church. Are you understanding that? So in every, what, what I want us to understand is when you are under somebody's authority, I don't want you to think that you are under somebody's bondage. That's how our flesh wants to think. Oh, I guess I have to do everything my husband tells me to do. I guess I have to do everything my parents tell me to do. I guess I have to do everything my pastor or my boss tells me to do. No, no, no. Don't take it as being subjected to slavery, but understand that that authority has been given not by you, but by God, but it has been given for your benefit. So live a life in such a way that you receive the full benefit. Use that position and position yourself so that you receive everything that you're supposed to receive from those people that are in authority. Amen? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you, which means somebody is ruling over you. Again, whether you like it or not, whether you recognize it or not, it's the truth of life. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Everyone say submissive. submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Which means he's here, he's talking about spiritual leaders. He's talking about pastors and leaders that, that God places in your life. And he's saying, be submissive to them. Why? Not so that you can live like a slave for them. Not so that you can live like a worker for them, but he's saying live a submissive life to them because they're watching over your souls and they have to give an account, which means authority means responsibility and authority means accountability. Authority means responsibility and authority means accountability. You see, until about... Four years ago, I was not a father. And uh, because I was not a father, I didn't have the responsibility of the father, and I didn't have to be accountable for being a father. But roughly over four years ago, when my wife became pregnant and she started carrying a child, that's when I became a father. And by the way, you don't become a father and you don't become a mother after you give birth. You become a father the very day your wife got pregnant. That is life that you are carrying. Understand that. That is life that the woman is carrying. You're not a father the day the child is born. I know that's when you get congratulated. But you become a father the day your wife realizes, wait a minute, something's different in my body and I'm pregnant. That's the day you became a father. Are you understanding that? Your responsibility starts from that day, 
Not for when, 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 the, when the woman gives birth to the child in the hospital. Are you understanding that? So from that moment, I became a father. And from that day to the day I breathe my last breath, I am now accountable. And one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, from that day to the very last day, give me an account of what kind of father you were. So it's a responsibility. It's accountability. Now, just a little over two years ago, we planted this church. Until that point, I was not a pastor. I didn't have the responsibilities of the pastor. I didn't have to give an account for me being a pastor. Now, I was ordained to be a pastor before that. But the day we started this church, from that point on, when the day that I stand before God, he's going to say, give me an account for how you handled the responsibility or the authority that I have placed over your life. Are you understanding that? So every single one of us don't think of authority as being for their selfish gain. People who use authority for their selfish gain don't understand God-given authority. All right. Now he goes on to say, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So he's saying live a life in such a way that you bring joy to those who are above you. Because if you don't bring joy to those who are above you, he says, it is unprofitable for you. Why? Because you don't receive the blessing that comes from that leadership. Are you understanding that? Which means you can come and go to that. That's why it is so important to understand that church is so much more than you just attending for, for an hour and a half and running away. You've got to understand that church is so much more like a family than a workplace. It is the body of Christ. It is the family of God. It's not just about coming, oh, I did my one and a half hours for this week, so I'm out. No, no, no. You're part of the family. You're part of the fabric of what God is building in this place. And what he's building in your life and what he's building in this place is interconnected and interrelated. So then in, in, let me read the same thing in the Amplified. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. So here's what I want you to understand. It's not your responsibility to give them authority. The authority that they carry doesn't come from you. The authority that they carry comes from God. But it is your responsibility to recognize that authority. Are you understanding that? See, you did not give your parents the authority to, to, to rule over you. But you had to come to the point where you recognize that authority. Why? That, rec that authority didn't come from the government, not from family. It came from God. Now, the day you start recognizing that authority and positioning yourself properly, the, you receive the benefit. And so he says, do the same thing with your spiritual leaders. For they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render account of, of their trust. Do your part. Let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable for you either. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Let's go there quickly. Ephesians 5, 15 uh, uh, onwards, it says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Everyone say, I am wise. I am wise. Come on, everybody, I am wise. Okay, because if you don't say that, you're automatically saying the other thing, all right? So, so redeeming the time, or redeeming the time because the days are evil. Then he goes on to say, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So every one of you, no matter what your age is, every single one of us are living on a limited time clock here. One day, the, the, the time's going to stop. So, so what, what Peter is, sorry, what Paul is saying here is, hey, live not as foolish people, but live as wise people. And the way he says is, a wise person is, is somebody that knows the will of God, in other words, and lives according to that will. If, if Paul is saying you can know the will, if, he, if he's saying know the will of God, that means you can know the will of God. Knowing the will of God and then submitting to the will of God is, a, is the prerequisite for you to live a life that glorifies God. Because here's the thing. If you don't know the will of God, if you don't take the time to know the will of God for your life, by default you will be living a life for your own will. For your own 
pleasure and for your own glory. Whether it is through your family, whether it is through your career, whether it is through your children, whether it is through your business, whatever the case may be, but you will live a life for your glory and for your pleasure. And so it is important for us to understand the will of God and then live accordingly. To live a life that brings glory and honor to God we cannot live foolishly based on what we think is right in our own eyes. We need to be people who walk wisely before God, knowing his will and his ways. John chapter 7, and starting from verse 16 says, Jesus answered and said to them, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Now think about this. Jesus, the son of the living God, who came to change the course of world history, he says, I am not preaching my own doctrine. In other words, he's saying, I'm not even preaching my own message. He's saying, I'm not even speaking in my own authority, which means he is submitted to someone's, someone else's authority. That means Jesus lived a life of submission. Again, everyone say submission. 33 years of his earthly life, he lived it as a man who was subject under authority. And that was the authority of the father. That's why in another place he says, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I hear my, or what I see my father do. Which means my life is completely subject to the will of the father and because he lived a life of, of of that kind of subjection and that kind of submission he lived a life that glorified the father in heaven he subjected himself and submitted to him submitted himself even to the point of death on the cross are you understanding that this morning now, later on, he goes on to say that uh, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. But that came later on in his life. It came later on. So everything that he did, he did it as a man under authority. John chapter uh, 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 13 and verse 20. It says, more assuredly, I say to you, he who receives Whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, the people that I send into your life, if you receive them the right way, it is just as if you have received me. And if you have received me, it is just like you have received the one who sent me, who sent Jesus. The Father. So in other words, when you receive the human authority that God places in your life the way you are supposed to receive, you have now just received God in your life the way you are supposed to receive. Now, am I saying that the people in your life that God has given authority to are gods in your life? Absolutely not. They're not gods by any means. But they have been given authority by God. Now, there's several of you here that are parents and every one of you have had parents. Now, there's nobody in here that, that will say, I had the perfect parents. Why? Because you saw their mistakes. You saw their faults. But that does not negate the authority that God has given to them. And for those of you who are parents, you know you're not the perfect father, you know you're not the perfect mother, and yet you know you carry the responsibility of the authority that God has placed over your life. And so Jesus says, if you receive the ones that I sent you, you are receiving me. In other words, every single time you receive, you subject yourself to, to the authority that God places in your life, you are subjecting yourself to God himself. Are you understanding that? In the Amplified Version, it says, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, he who receives and welcomes and takes into his heart any messenger of mine receives me in just that way. That means the way you receive authority in your life represents the way you receive God in your life. The attitude with which you receive God-given authority in your life is the attitude with which 
you receive God in your life. When you rebel against God-given authority in your life, you're, that's the way you're rebelling against what God is doing in your life. Are you understanding that? Now, this is why it is so important for the child of God to understand that submitting to authority is one of the most important things in the kingdom of God. Now, let me also say this. Has this been abused in the kingdom of God and has this been abused in families? Absolutely. There are husbands that have abused this. There are pastors who have abused this. But that does not mean we stop leaving this principle. See, there are doctors who abuse their, uh, uh, the, the authority that the government gives them. How many of you know there are bad doctors? Okay, I, have, I have nothing against doctors. Like I always say, my wife is one. So I've got nothing against doctors. But how many of you know not every doctor is, is, is a good doctor? There are doctors who prescribe things, who write tests simply for the sake of money. But that doesn't make all doctors bad. There are government officials who are crooked, who are corrupt, but that doesn't make every single person working in the government bad. There are crooked business people, does not make every businessman or businesswoman a bad person and a greedy person. Are you understanding what I'm saying? In the same way, it's the same with pastors, it is the same with parents, it is the same with every kind of authority. But here's the problem. When you move away from being subject to authority because it is not comfortable for you, you are moving away from the thing that God is trying to do in your life and, uh, and the things that God is trying to bring into your life. Are you understanding that? So every single person has to understand that they need to be a person that is subject to authority and that's the only way that God's going to get the glory that he deserves out of your life. Now, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19 says, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I know that in the flesh we are not, it, it is not, submission doesn't come easy to us, it doesn't come naturally to us. But the question that I have for you is, are you at least willing this evening? Because if you're willing, then God can at least work with that. If you're willing, then God can say, okay, give me that little that you have. I will multiply that. I will work in your life. I will bring the changes in your life so that you can become a person that is willing and obedient to do what I've called you to do. Are you understanding that? So are, the question is, are you willing to be obedient to God's will? Are you willing to be submitted to God's ways? Are you willing to live a life that brings glory and honor to God? Now, if you say yes to any of those things, what you're also saying is you are willing to face and live through unfair treatment. Write that down. Because every one of you will need that at some point. When you say you are willing to live a life that glorifies God and that you are willing to live a life that is submitted to authority, what you are automatically saying is that you are willing to live a life that will take the pressure and that will go through unfair treatment. Now, sometimes the unfair treatment is really unfair treatment and other times it's just discipline that you don't like. For example, as kids, I'm sure every one of you have felt at some point in your life that your mother is the worst thing in the world and your father is the worst thing in the world and they're always treating you unfairly. But the reality is, they were not really treating you unfairly most, more than likely. They were just doing the right thing and you thought it was unfair. But then there are certain cases in our lives when you do the right thing and you are still treated unfairly. What do you do in those situations? How do we handle it? How, how do we handle it? Turn with me to First uh, um, um, Peter chapter 2, please. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, you, are, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Now, everyone here is not a slave. Most people that will be watching this are not really slaves. Now, even though there's slavery in the world today and it's a horrible thing, mo most of you that are, 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 are listening to this message, you are not living as slaves. And so what I want you to understand is in context, what he's saying is those who of you who are employees... Those of you who are family members, those of you who are children, those of you who are students, those of you who are church members, you must submit to your masters with all respect. Now, 
That's easy. That's not a big thing. Nobody's going to fight against this statement. Okay, we know that. But look at what he says later on. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are, come on everybody, even if they are cruel. That's a problematic statement right there. You say, hey, this is your new boss, and, and, and you know, you listen to what he says, no problem. We understand that. You have a new teacher, when you go to college, when you go to school, you understand that, okay, I have to be obedient to the teacher. You, we understand, but what happens when they are cruel to you? Peter says you obey them. Peter says you submit to them. Why do we do this? He says, for God is pleased. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. It doesn't say for God is pleased when you rebel against them. It doesn't say God is pleased when you tell them what the truth is. It doesn't say God is pleased when you prove yourself to be right and prove that they were wrong. It says God is pleased when you endure. Now, endurance means time is involved. And he says when you patiently endure unfair treatment in your life, then he goes on to say, of course you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. In other words, when you endure patiently for being mistreated for doing the right thing, now God gets the glory out of that. Now God gets pleasure out of that. God is pleased by the way you are living your life. It says, for God called you to do good. And even if that means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his footsteps. Look at verse 20 and 21 in the Amplified. It says, after all, what kind of glory is there in it if we, when we do wrong, are punished for it? He's asking a rhetorical question. He says, is there any glory for, for being punished for doing something wrong? What's the answer to that? No, there's no glory in it. There's absolutely no glory in it. So in other words, then he goes on to say, but if you bear patiently with suffering, which results when you do right, and that is undeserved, it is acceptable and pleasing to God. It is acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, he goes on to say, for even uh, uh, to this you were called. Now, for those of you who are wondering, what is my calling in life? What is the will of God for my life? Here it is. The will of God for your life is that you patiently endure unfair treatment. That's the calling that you have for your life. Excited? You want to know the will of God? Here's the will of God for your life. To endure patiently unfair treatment. The word of God for you today. Endure patiently. Unfair treatment. Then he goes on to say, For Christ, uh, look, look at what it, it is inseparable for, from your vocation. That means if you call yourself a Christian, you cannot take this part away from you. It is inseparable. If you want to be called a Christian, a child of God, a, a person that lives for the glory of God, and you say, well, they don't treat me properly, so I'm moving from this job. Uh, they don't treat me properly, so I'm moving away from my house. They don't treat me properly. They don't give me the respect I deserve, so I'm moving away from this church. I'm moving away from this organization. I'm moving away from my relatives, whatever the case. A friend, you don't get it. You're called to stay. Or friend, you don't get it. You, you were, it's inseparable. You cannot get out of that. You were called to live through that. Are you getting it? 
Now, look at what, what, what David says in Psalm 51. He says, you, for you delight, Psalm 51 verse 16, it says, for you delight not in sacrifice or else I would, I would give it. You find no pleasure in burnt offerings. Now, in context, God does have pleasure in burnt offerings, but he's comparing this to something else. And he says, com- in comparison to that, in verse 17, he says, my sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Such, O oh God, you will not despise. He says, that is the uh, a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Again, even when it comes to uh, 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 what we read in, in Peter, that's what it says. When we patiently endure, it is acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, if you are not a, uh, if you're a person that is not willing to submit to authority, but then you say, but God, I am doing this for you. I am doing that for you. I've given so much money to the church. I have fed the poor. I have volunteered in the church. I've done this. I've done that. And you're trying to show all the good works. What David is saying, wait a minute, all of these burnt offerings are great things, but that's not what God is really interested in at the end of the day. He's interested what's happening on the inside. He's interested with the heart and soul that is on the inside. He's interested in a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Why? Because when that's there, then all the outward things that you do, when you do bring the burnt offering, then it is acceptable unto God. When you bring the offering of sacrifice of faith, uh, 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 of praise to God, that is pleasing unto God. But if you do all of those things without the right stuff on the inside, God's not really pleased with that. Are you understanding that? Now, when you go through, when you patiently endure the way you're supposed to, there are three things that you, that you can expect God to, uh, uh, three things that you can expect in your life. Number one, you're making room for God's righteous judgment. When you patiently endure unfair treatment in your life, you are making room for God's righteous judgment because you're not t- trying to take things into your own hands. You're not trying to do things in your own strength and ability. You're saying, I will patiently endure because my faith is in God. My hope is in God. He who has called me is faithful to bring me to the complete, to the finish line. Amen. So then is the second thing is it develops the character of Christ in you. Patiently enduring unfair treatment develops the character of Christ in you. And number three, our submission glorifies God. Our submission glorifies God. Three things. It makes room for God's righteous judgment. It develops the character of Christ in us. And then our submission glorifies God. Mark chapter 15 and verses starting from verse 3. This is Jesus standing before Pilate and it says, and the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered, sorry, answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. So that Pilate marveled. When you go through tough times in your life, and when accusations are being railed at you, False accusations are being railed at you. When people are treating you unfairly, do people look at your response and marvel at your response? Or do people say, well, you know, they treated the person this way and that's why, you know, he did it, you know, he responded that way. That's the reason why she, you know, she got angry. Is that the response that people have when they look at your life? Or do they say, man, I don't even understand why they're responding the way they're responding. And do they marvel at your response? See, the reason why Pilate marveled at the, at, at, his resp- at the response of Jesus is because he knew Jesus was an innocent man. He knew that every single accusation was false. He knew that there was nothing that was true that was being spoken of him. And so he's saying, aren't you going to defend yourself against this unfair treatment? Aren't you going to say anything about what is taking place. And what's Jesus' response? He says nothing. Why? Because he would only say what he hear his father say. And he would only do what he saw his father do.
His father never said anything. Therefore, Jesus was not going to say anything. Are you understanding submission, my friends? You see, because Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father to that degree, he walked in the grace of the Father throughout his life. He had the empowerment, he had the enablement to do what he was called to do on this earth. You see, the night before this happened, before Pilate, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says that he was praying and he goes to his disciples and asks the disciples to pray with him and for him. Now, that's the only time in the Bible that you see Jesus asking someone to pray with him. Now, think about this. He, he never asked people to pray for him before he walked on the water. He didn't say, guys, I'm going to do something that has never been done before. I need all of you to be praying for me. Doesn't say that. He doesn't tell the disciples, hey, this morning when we go out, I'm going to be healing a blind person. So I've never done that before. So I need you guys to be praying for me. You don't see him do that. He doesn't say, guys, today I'll be talking to a tax collector. I'll be talking to a wicked business guy. I'll be interacting with, you know, A, B, and C. I'll be interacting with a general. So just pray that I say the right things. He never asked for prayer. But he asks it at this point. Why? Because he knows that he is about to subject himself and submit himself to the will of the Father to a degree that he has never done before. In fact, the Bible says he prays how many times? Three times that night about the same issue. You've never seen Jesus pray more than once about any issue. Not even the raising of Lazarus. Only once. He's a man of faith. And yet he comes to this point in his life and three times he goes to the Father and says, Is there another option? Is there another chance? Is there another way? And the Father doesn't say anything to him. The Bible doesn't say that the Father spoke to him. The reason the father never said anything is not because he was turning his eye away or turning his face away from Jesus. That's, he did that later on when he was at the cross. But he didn't say anything because there was nothing to be said. For some of you, you've been praying and you're wondering, why is God not speaking to me about this issue? Because he's already told you what needs to be done. There's no point in repeating himself. The question is, are you going to submit yourself to what has already been said? Some of us, we pray over and over again about the same issue, not because we don't know what to do. We're just hoping God will change his mind. That's not submission, my friends. See, a lot of times what we think is submission is just agreement. Just agreement. You like the decision that your boss made and so you agree with him. You're not subject to him. You're not, that's not submission. You like what your parents told you and so you agree with them. That's not submission. You like what your leader or your pastor said. You like that decision so you're in agreement. That's agreement. Submission is when the leadership, when the authority, when your parents, when your boss makes a decision that there's not even a 1% of you that wants to agree with it. And yet you say, I understand that I'm under the authority, so I will do what, is been, what has been told to do. That's submission. There was not anything in Jesus that wanted, that had the desire to go to the cross. So three times he prays and three times he says, is there anything that we can do to remove this cup? And then finally says, what did, he say? what did he say at the very end? Not my will, but yours be done. Now that's submission. That's submission. Now, some of you might be saying, but pastor, what if the leader is bad? What if the pastor is evil? What if the parents are evil? What if the, 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 my boss is an evil person? How, how can I submit to them? Here's how. You submit to them by having faith in God. 
You submit to them by having faith in God. When you don't submit to them, what you're saying is, I don't have faith in God. I don't know how God can redeem this. I don't know how God can turn this around. So I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to do it my way. That's what you're saying. See, that's why in the life of David, this, is, this guy has been appointed and anointed by the prophet to be the king. Nobody knows about it. He's the next king. God has already declared this upon his life. The prophet, the man of God has come, anointed him. He does everything right. He's living for the glory of God. He's a man after God's own heart. He is faithful in, in, in taking care of the sheep when nobody is watching. When the time comes, he was not, he doesn't have a great plan to kill Goliath and one day become king. No, no, no. He just goes to serve his country and serve his God. He kills Goliath. And then he continues to serve his king faithfully. Never trying to get the throne. Serves faithfully. Plays the music for the king. Plays the instrument because he was anointed to do that. And what does he get in response to that? The king trying to kill him. And now this anointed man, the king of Israel, is running in the forest and in the hills to protect his life. And we might think it's just for a few days, my friends, 16 long years, 16 long years. Think about this. Um, you know that you're the next king. You know that you've been anointed of God. You know that you carry the covenant that God has. You know that you believe in God. And you know that the person that is in authority is doing things that God is not pleased with. He could have had every reason, earthly reason, for why to attack Saul, kill Saul, and become the king. And guess what? The earth and the people in Israel would have supported him, and nobody would have corrected him, and everyone would have continued to sing the praises of David. But there's only one problem with that plan. It would not be pleasing in the eyes of God. That's the only problem. But it's a big problem. See, too many of us, we're not concerned about what's pleasing in the eyes of God. We're more concerned about what's pleasing to us. We're more concerned about, well, I need to protect my name. I need to protect my reputation. I need to protect my honor. I need to protect my, uh, 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 um, you know, uh, respect. And so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And what do we do? We fight. We rebel. We try to take matters into our own hands. Every single time you take matters into your own hands, you don't give space for the righteous judgment of God to come into that situation. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself. God's not going to humble you. You've got to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. The opposite of that is don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and now you carry the responsibility of exalting yourself. And that's what we find a lot of people do. Trying to exalt themselves. You're not capable of exalting yourself. You don't have the capacity for that. It's not in the human nature to get to the place that God has for you. You cannot get to the places and spaces that God has for you in your own strength and ability. That's why the perfect example, we see it in the life of Jesus. He humbled himself even to the point of the cross. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God and he was exalted in due time. Jesus was exalted. And you can be too. If you're willing to trust in the ways of God. If you're willing 
to be subjected to the authority that God places in your life. So David subjected himself and he says, I will not touch the anointed of the in 1 Samuel, this is, I mean, if you, during this week, just read 1 Samuel all the way from chapter 20 to the end of that, uh, end of the book. I mean, you see him, so many opportunities come in the life of David where he could simply take the life of Saul, become the king. And he would not touch the anointed of the Lord. And there's one time where he cuts the robe of Saul and just to prove that Saul, I don't have a heart to take your throne. Just to prove that he is of the right heart. And what happened? So even when he tried to prove that he was right. The Bible says that he repented of that later on. Why? Because it was not his place. And he did not have to prove that he was right. He did not have to prove to Saul that he had the right heart. As long as he had the right heart. And he was living a life that was pleasing unto God by enduring unfair treatment. God was going to take care of him. And because of the way he lived his life, there was no other king like David. There was no other king in the, in the history of the nation of Israel that is respected like David. That is talked about like David. We name our children after this man. Why don't we name people after Saul? He was taller than David. He was more kingly than David. He was the first king of Israel. Think about that. The honor of being the first king of God's nation. And yet we don't name people after Saul. We name our children our sons, after the guy who was hiding in the forest for 16 years. We name him after the guy who was hiding under the rocks. Why? Because ultimately, it was him who lived a life that brought glory to God. He lived a life that was pleasing unto the Father. Are you understanding this, my friends? When you understand the God-given authority that God places in your life, that's why I said last week, take some time. Because if you don't take time for this, if you're not intentional about this, this will never happen in your life. Take some time, write it down on a piece of paper and say, who are the people that have authority in my life? If you've got parents, they need to be on that list. But other than parents, who gets to speak into your life? Who has, who has the right to correct and bring correction in your life? Because if you don't have that in your life, my friends, and if you run away from correction, you cannot live a life that's pleasing unto God. Because you're not submitted to the ways of God in His kingdom. So my prayer is that every single one of us will understand the importance of submission and be submitted to the people, the men and the women that God has placed in our lives so that we may live a life that brings Him glory and honor. Amen.